Last week's episode was epic. Pallets made of coconut husks and the circular supply chain Cocoa Palette has mastered. Check it all out at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash season two dash episode 73. Welcome to Let's Talk Supply Chain. My name is Sarah Barnes-Humphrey, and each week I bring you the top supply chain professionals in the industry. You will learn about best practices, new innovation, and most up-to-date information about supply chain. I believe that collaboration is the future of business, and I have designed this show to ensure you have all the information you need to succeed in business and in your supply chain. This episode is brought to you by IANA. IANA represents the intermodal freight transportation industry. Every year they put on a massive event, Intermodal Expo, where the stakeholders, decision makers, and influencers of the intermodal supply chain gather. Expo is the place to be to make connections and advance your business. Expo will be held in Long Beach, California, September 15th through 18th, and I'll be attending and hope to see you there. Register online today at intermodalexpo.com. Hello and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. Who else is going to be at Caravana this weekend in Toronto? I've never been before. I don't know what to expect, but I am super excited because I'm sure that it's going to be amazing. So we haven't heard from Graham in a while and I don't know about you, but I'm definitely in withdrawal. Plus, this is an extra special episode because my co-host Audrey Ross from the Trade Squad is taking the hot seat in today's episode as my guest host. But before we get to that, let's cover the question of the week. So the question is, what is lacking in supply chain resources? And I ask this question because there's so much supply chain information out there. You can listen to podcasts, read blogs on various topics, even watch videos as well. And I just wonder where the gaps are. Are there specific topics that we're not really um, addressing are we not drilling down enough? Is there, where are the resources that we're lacking? Where's the gap and where you can find your information? So over on email, Julie Shum says, to be brutally honest, knowledge sharing and learning about what the upstream and downstream activities are so that people in various roles know the impact of their actions and how others impact them. Unless it's understood how the immediate handoffs occur, it will be impossible to achieve an optimized supply chain. Keelan Spence over on LinkedIn says, I believe the biggest thing lacking right now is transparency of information and data between supply chain partners. Too many emails, phone calls, and headaches searching for information that could be readily available if partners were better equipped to share information. He also says, I see blockchain technologies as a great solution to fixing these gaps. Dicey Mans for Gola, she responded to him and said, I'm wondering how much blockchain will actually penetrate supply chain and on what timeline. And then Sandy Vosk weighed in with talented resources. There will continue to be increasing challenges in attracting and maintaining quality staff throughout the supply chain. Thank you to everybody who weighed in on the question of the week. If you want to see the rest of their answers and some of the past question and answers, go to listeners corner at letstalksupplychain.com. 
And remember, every single Wednesday over on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram, we post a question of the week. So go ahead, check that out and give us your thoughts. So back to today's episode. As most of you know, Audrey handles all things supply chain for a private label company out of Toronto. She is my co-host on the Trade Squad and is my trade bestie. So I'm super excited to hand the reins over to her for this episode. Graham is our resident industry expert and owner of Border Buddy, an online customs platform. So the two of them together should bring value, laughter, and incredible insights. Hi there, I'm Audrey Ross. I'm covering for Sarah today on the podcast. I'm here with Graham Robbins from Border Buddy, and uh, we're going to check in and see how we're doing. Um, yeah, thanks. Thanks, Audrey. It's nice to meet you. I haven't met you in person, but I'm looking forward to our, our podcast today. Great. Uh, Let's just jump in. So you recently shared an article on LinkedIn on asking for a raise. Uh, And I'm curious, what did you learn from that? Well, I was going to turn that around and ask, you know, have have you asked for a raise before? I have. Not recently. (laughs) Yeah. So if you've been at your company, I think for 14 years or something, how many times have you asked for a raise? That's a good question. Just only about, I think, two or three times. Okay, so, you know, I think what uh, what we've learned is that it's really hard for people to ask for raises. So there's and there's data that shows it's especially hard for women to ask for raises. And our com- our company is about eighty five percent women, and so we don't tend to get a lot of people asking. And we're really encouraging people to do that because. You know, in the sort of I call the the olden days of of you know employment, you would just give people a percentage increase every year, and everyone you know just sort of got what they got. And um, I we like to think that you know more like a sports team to say you know we have goals and objectives that we want to have happen every year, and if you're you're killing it and you're 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 you know really adding a lot of value and and performing well, we want you to be paid well. But it's very hard to know what you actually want. So we want people to understand what they want and then ask for it and or figure out a way to get there. So that's basically our learning is that, you know, we're going through it. We're not perfect at it today, but we really want people to feel that they're valued, that they're paid well, that then and that it should align with their performance. It's sort of like that. that Jerry Maguire movie when, you know, he helped them win the championship and he's like, you know, pay me. And, and so we want, uh, we want that type of culture within our company. Right. So, and, and kind of making, making your, your employees feel valued is such a, such a kind of ideal as well, because you're going to see the retention too. I'm sure you have a few staff members there who are kind of longtime loyal employees. Right. And, and it's, it's actually, it's a bit controversial. Some people don't like it at all. They, they just think it's, you know, they have a really hard time with it. And so we want to be talking about it a lot and, and I'm happy to be challenged and debate it, but you know, I, I really want our people to feel in charge of their own career, take charge of their own career and, and not just be sort of at the mercy of our company to say, well, this is what you're going to get and that's it. I want people looking at, the impact that they're having, look at the, the, the achievements that they've had, the performance that they've had, the, the things that they've helped us achieve 
and talk to us about it. Go, hey, this is what I've been working on. This is what I've been doing. This is the impact that I've had. These are the results that I've had. Uh, I've been looking around. I think this is what I should be paid. Uh, can we can we have a discussion around it? And I love that type of candid conversation. Mm -hmm. I think there's such a stigma around talking about pay. Um, certainly, we've seen that with kind of the the kind of gender equity in, you know, men being paid more than women, or you know, even just you know certain people getting paid more than others. And there's such a lack of transparency. But I think there is a real stigma for a lot of people, and and you know, even in how our upbringing is that it's you know you don't oh we don't talk about money oh. You know that's something that's kept private or you know on another on the on a another tangent it's you know i think i've seen people who they want the company to just know how to recognize them you know so there's this kind of standoff on i just expect that the company knows what i've done and should appreciate me accordingly um and so, yeah, you're kind of going in blind because you're kind of expecting the company to, to pay all this attention to you and they're really busy kind of focusing on their goals. And uh, I, I think maybe that's there's that resistance too, which it sounds like you're coming up against. Yeah, it, it's it's a great point. And, and you covered a, a few op a few things there that we could probably spend the whole episodes on, like you yeah. know, the gender pay gap and things like that, you know, and you're in you're in logistics and, and, and you know, cross border, you know, try to do a salary comparison on a tariff consultant, you know, <laughs> how many are there in Canada, <laughs> you know, right. uh, what, you know, so you're going to get some data to say, well, we could say that if you work for a manufacturing company, you know, you might get, this is the pay band, but you know, you talked about it being sort of taboo to talk about money, but it's a great mm. time to think about this right now with what's going on in the NBA, for example, you know, you saw the turn, the Raptors win the championship and then all these yeah. free agency opens up. Well, they do nothing but talk about money. They're like, Hey, I win championships, pay me. And, and I actually want our people talking like that. Like, Hey, I crushed it last quarter. I had three rocks or three goals that I, I needed to accomplish. I, I crushed them. They've had a big impact. I've been looking, I've been, I think this is what I should get paid and have mm -hmm. that conversation. You know, when you have a hundred people in your company, how do you know what each person should be paid or what they feel they should be paid? So mm -hmm. we want them talking about it because we don't want it to be an issue. Well, I, you know, someone that says I don't get paid enough, they've either never asked for what they should get paid and don't have a clear view on, on where, where that path leads them to get paid what they want to get paid. Or mm -hmm. we don't feel you're performing well enough to get paid that, that much. And so we should talk to you about that. So I just want to remove the stigma of talking about it. And you, you mentioned about gender, you know, I've, I've given raises to people, to females that have never asked for it and they're, they're shocked or they're, they're, they're surprised. And I said, you know, you need to be stepping up for yourself. You need to be telling me what you think you should be getting paid uh, because, you know, I, I find you very valuable. But I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what's on your mind. If you think you should be paid double what I, what we're paying you, you should tell me that, mm -hmm. and then we can talk about it. Mm -hmm. It's breaking that barrier of 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 people understanding their accomplishments and and kind of celebrating them, uh, which kind of leads us into our next question because uh, you're also a big advocate for sharing your success, um, and it it really seems like social media can create a lot of pressure on sharing the best version of ourselves. Um, and that we kind of need to outdo each other with this greatness or with these successes. 
Um, and along with with sharing our successes, you know, what about sharing our mistakes? You know, and, and from our previous question, kind of, you know, a mistake would be not asking for what you're worth. Um, what do you think about sharing sharing more of our mistakes? I think it's fantastic because I think the best way to learn is from other people's mistakes. Now, I haven't been particularly good about sharing mistakes. And so I actually asked on LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago to say, you know, what what are you seeing out there with with the best learnings on on mistake making? Because, you know, I want to there's there's a saying that I like that says, you know, it's OK to make new mistakes, but it's not OK to make old mistakes. You know, you shouldn't be making the same mistake multiple times. But, you know, we're again going back to sort of being candid you know we made a mistake with a customer a couple of weeks ago and and i i'm actually thinking i'm going to write about it because you know we were having to give them some money back we made a mistake there's some goodwill involved we also have a money back guarantee but who wants to really put out there that says yes we made a mistake and we're going to write a check to a customer for five thousand dollars because of that mistake uh, but i mean that's real and you know everything you see on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn and is not real. It's mostly just the, that beautiful sort of top 1% of your life, but no one's really learning from that. People look at it and, and, and get envious or, 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 you know, don't think that it's real. So I think talking about mistakes is to me, that's the best learning. You know, you want to learn from somebody that, that has made, made mistakes and says, Oh, you know, I've done that. Here, here's the better way or, you know, so that we can always sort of leverage that and, and build upon it. Yeah, I agree with that. And I love going to, I love going, you know, if you're at a conference and you get kind of like the war stories or the, like, this was this terrible situation that happened and, you know, or when someone completely, you know, like, you know, because we're all very busy, we all have lots of projects ongoing, but it's when they kind of admit, like, you know, this is a mistake that happened. Um, and it, but then the key follow up is like, how did I learn from that? Or, or how did I turn that around for my customer? Um, I know we had a shipment where we ended up shipping everything to, there was supposed to be a split shipment to two locations. We shipped everything to one location, um, you know, just kind of a mistake that was made and uh and yeah it was how did we respond to the customer let them know how it was being fixed and how we could take care of that um you know what's kind of what's one that maybe stands out for you too well you know i think that's a great point it's not the mistake it's how you handle the mistake right so i, I the, the the version i always use is is at a restaurant you know you're at a restaurant you place your order you know what you ordered they bring the wrong thing so there's mm -hmm. usually two types of responses when you tell a person that I ordered steak, not chicken or chicken, not steak, right? They're either going to say, right. no, you didn't. You ordered, this is what you ordered, <laughs> right? And then yeah. you're going to go, oh my goodness, <laughs> now we're fighting. And, and, or they say, oh my gosh, I'm very sorry. We're going to get that steak back out to you. And I'm going to give you a free dessert and pay for your drink. So then you're just smiling and going, yeah, that's all I want. I just want to be heard, recognized. And we all make mistakes. I don't know any customer that has not made a mistake. So they expect you to make some mistakes, but it's how you respond to it. And, and so, but people don't talk about them enough. So I think that, uh, you know, you talk about logistics and shipping, I mean, split shipments and, you know, double orders, short shipments. I mean, that's just, that happens. That must happen a thousand times a day in the, in, in this industry. Right. So it's basically how you handle it, how you deal with it, how you respond. And then what are you doing to improve on that for next time? You know, how, how do you, how can you make sure the confidence is gone with the customer? 
And I think, yeah, and, and I've seen too that that some people, it becomes, yeah, the excuse. They present the excuses. Um, and no one, no one really wants to hear the excuse. People are, you know, quite simply, it's like, yes, everyone makes mistakes. I just want to hear you, you know, like what you've said. I want to be heard. I want to be recognized. I want to hear, you know, I acknowledge that I made a mistake. I'm sorry. And then this is what's going to turn it around or fix it for you. Exactly. You know, the excuse is, you know, oh, that's not our policy. Oh, sorry. You know, Joe did that. Well, I don't care that Joe did it. I'm, I'm phoning your company. You know, you, you represent your company and you really need to vacate, you know, all excuses. There's, there's no excuse. It, it's basically, you know, it, it's, it's owning the mistake and, and, and moving to solving, you know, really quickly versus fighting about, you know, why the mistake was made. Like if a customer is really stuck on why did you make a mistake that uh, and they're expecting perfection, that's not a that's not a customer that I I would want to do business with because if there's perfectionist thinking that's very dangerous you know we are we're going to do all we can to be perfect but we are not perfect so it's it's basically again just handle the handle it and make them happy and and make sure they have confidence in you that that you're not going to you know make that same mistake again or you know or, or reduce the the option or the idea of it happening again for sure. Let's jump into being a customs broker. And you are using e-manifest software like ACI in Canada and um, and they have ACE as the similar system in the US. And I'm wondering, are you seeing an increase of kind of in-house or private company platforms um, for ease of use to the customer? Um, and are you providing, like, you know, you're working on these kind of e-manifest softwares are you providing kind of a similar platform to your customer well we're we're sort of in analyzing mode right now with this there's been so many platforms so to speak being built they're all over the place you know there's <laughs> platforms a very popular term obviously but i mean the u.s customs has their own login and system canada customs has their own login and system and some carriers are doing their own ACI and ACE, you know, reporting. Some of them are outsourcing it to, you know, third-party providers that also have built their own platforms. And they're, they're not really platforms. They're just logins to go and transmit and send your data. So we're really observing this right now. And, and what I mean by that is we're asking a lot of questions from our carrier partners. And, and, and you know, there's been changes with, with reporting to customs in the last, you know, one to five years, depending on how you look at it, is how how the reporting has gotten more difficult. Like carriers never used to have to give any information when they cross the border, and now they have to give everything down to the driver and, and an approved driver when they're crossing the border. So, you know, we're really listening to those customers and carriers, figuring out: Are you doing this yourself? Are you, you know, and and, and the statistics again are that you know the average trucking firm in Canada is, is sort of one to two trucks, right? So they don't have a lot of, uh, technology and, and, uh, infrastructure for the, for these systems. So we're really just looking at this right now and saying, you know, we do offer the services for sure. We are offering ACI and ACE, and we have a lot of customers that use us for that, but we keep thinking there's a better way than to just make money off doing that, you know? So we, we're just adding cost to the to the supply chain we're adding cost to the carrier and we don't love that idea you know we're, we're trying to figure out how do we just 
make things effortless and remove remove that friction. So those are the things that we're thinking about right now. Interesting. Interesting. On our Trade Squad YouTube show uh, that you can all immediately go and watch right now. Um, <laughs> Subscribe now. <laughs> on our show. Yeah, yeah. Drop this and head off. No, I'm kidding. Uh, we do discuss a lot of hot topics, and uh, cryptocurrency has had a big flare-up in especially the last two weeks with an announcement from Facebook that they will launch Libra. Um, and what is your take on cryptocurrencies? Well, my only claim to fame on crypto is a friend told me about it when it was at $700 a coin and I bought some and I still haven't sold. So oh. that, that's, that's not even my claim to fame. That's somebody saying, hey, you got to get some Bitcoin. And, and so again, <laughs> uh, learning from that. But, you know, we're really customer focused on, on this. So if our customers are looking to use crypto, you know, we'll, we'll be there. You know, we, we'll, we'll do it. But I do believe that cryptocurrency in general will be, you know, especially useful in trade because of the transparency combined with, you know, blockchain. And, and they're, they're, I, I sometimes even hate saying these terms because they get thrown around so loosely. But I mean, this this blockchain for the digital end to end trail from, you know, farm or factory to delivery, this is happening. And so I think cryptocurrency is going to be aligned to that the more the blockchain is used. So I really see it happening in in trade, and it makes a lot of sense. You know, trying to trying to determine origin of products and things like that is just left up to somebody writing it down on an invoice right now. And I, I think that right. as those platforms come come to play, that uh, cryptocurrency will be, um, you know, will, will be there for sure. Right. And so right now for you, it's a it's a kind of observe and 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 see what what the customer interest level is exactly you know we we have customers that ask us can we pay with amazon you know our amazon account can we pay with you know paypal and things like that so we we allow for that mm -hmm. but um we don't i don't we we keep our ear to the <laughs> to our customers and uh, there's no one at, from the b2b space anyways that's asking to use crypto we've had probably a, a few customers in the consumer side ask to pay in cryptocurrency but um, not not much overall right now. But the, the Mersks of the world are building sort of the blockchain for you know for ocean freight, and and you know they're they're working with IBM on that. And I think cryptocurrency is going to be a big part of that. I think too. I mean, we're based in Canada, and we're accustomed to such a high level of regulation and maybe kind of formalized services, right? Like we only have like what ten licensed banks, you know, and uh, so we're kind of in a very formal process and when I've worked with overseas companies their bureaucracy or their infrastructure is very different and so maybe there's it's a less informal or maybe more innovative uh, you know interaction with currency than maybe we have in Canada so I'm wondering if you agree that there's kind of a hesitancy for for Canadians on making that leap to crypto or or if you think we we may be kind of the leaders on that i uh, know i agree with you you know you said 10 but i think most people could only name like three banks right and yeah. so we're so <laughs> regulated in canada and it's it's shocking what happens in other countries right you know even the u.s you know i you and i could own a bank together you know that that you can just start a bank and and now you're now you're the transferring from that bank to another bank 
the cost, the transfer costs, all of that is is amazing. And then you you take that overseas internationally to a bank in Shenzhen trying to get money to a private bank in Texas. It it's um it's definitely driven by the market. You know, they're they're wanting a much easier way to transfer and and not have foreign exchange losses and gains and things like that. So yeah, I think ca- Canadians are sort of saying, well, our, our we're so regulated here, uh, we'll probably be slower to adapt. Mm. And uh, so to forecast, what do we think? We're going to have like a global one currency and what, by 2030, by 2040? <laughs> well, you know, with Facebook. <laughs> we'll all be on Libra, well, that's you know, it? That's, that's really it, right? So there, you talk about platforms. Well, Facebook is one of the largest platforms in the world. And if they have their own currency, uh, then and you've got a billion or two billion, you know, approaching two billion monthly active users, they basically they can own that pretty quickly. You know, who else has that reach? There's not one other network that you can think of, you know, unless it's a Google or, or someone like that, that has that many users. Uh, So they, they've, I think it's just a smart bet by them. You know, you, you talk about, you know, wire transfer, international transfers, you know, Facebook is right there. They're, they're, they're already linking digitally. So adding, adding a layer of currency to that is, I think is, brilliant. <laughs> so I think Facebook will definitely <laughs> make, make some headway there. For sure. So something that uh, I noticed your company reads a book each quarter uh, and your selection this quarter was the was KPI checklists by Bernie Smith. Uh, and I'll give a bit of a description for the of the book for our listeners. Uh, KPI checklist is for people who have the task of creating new KPIs for their organization have been asked to improve or enhance existing KPIs or need help implementing a measurement system. Using brief explanations and practical checklists, the book will help you deliver meaningful measures that work, create reports that support decision-making, and deploy the tools you need to engage the rest of your organization. And I'm wondering what prompted this book choice? Well, basically, one of the challenges was that we have a lot of KPIs in, in throughout, throughout our company. So we did a measurement and we had 170 KPIs and they were, they've sort of evolved over the years. And, and we've decided that, you know, does this really link to our strategy? You know, does, are all these KPIs pushing our strategy? And we also believe that every person in our company should have a KPI individually really to measure, you know, whether they had a good day or a bad day that day. So in other words, did they achieve what, what we needed them to achieve or not? So that's everyone from the receptionist to accounts payable, accounts receivable, release people, tariff people, you know, everyone should have an indicator of, of how they're doing. So it's, it's going back to that sports team analogy, you know, there's a scoreboard, there's statistics, there's, you know, how, you know, what's your average, how are you doing? It's high performance versus low performance. So that's really the, was the start of it was to say, okay, let's, let's look at this and sort of refresh this. And we came, we took that 170 odd KPIs down to about 30 of the core, core KPIs that our business needs to be aligned with our strategy. So picking it, um, is that, that's how we really look at what's relevant going on in our, in our business right now. And then this one was really fun, you know, speaking of tech and things like that. I read the book and I'm, I'm the type of person that usually gets a chapter or two in and goes, okay, this, we absolutely need to do this. And <laughs> I don't, don't normally finish the book, but I read this one sort of end to end. And then 
you know, reached out to the author, found him on LinkedIn. And then we had a zoom meeting, you know, a few days later, and then he's in London and, and then we brought him over and, uh, on a contract to work with us for, for a week on all of our KPIs. And it was just a fantastic experience for our, for our company and for the team to get really clear on this. So mm-hmm. yeah, and KPIs are just super important on, if you look around, everything has a KPI, your, your phone has a KPI on its battery usage, you know, <laughs> and we just don't right. think of them that way sometimes. It's, I love how you got so excited though. I do that. I get like, you get that one chapter in and you're like, this person is my guru <laughs> and I need to know everything about them and from them. And, you know, but it's, it's, you know, it's interesting to hear that, you know, you took those next steps, right? It's not just, oh, we, like I read the book. It's like, we all read the book. And then it's like, we reached out to the author. We took the next steps and we really had a look at it. So that's very interesting. Yeah, it's, it's super fun. And, and, you know, I've, I've done that a few times uh, and, I'll admit that there's sometimes the, the, the person on the other end is a bit of a dud, you know, and what, and that's a terrible word, but what I mean is there's just no energy. Uh, Bernie was right. amazing. The author, Bernie Smith of KPI checklist, you know, he just had energy. Uh, he, he gave a very good presentation on, on zoom and he, you know, he, he was sitting there in his office and he'd turn around and show this, this chart and this, you know, this KPI chart and, and some of the, the, exercises he goes through to get you thinking about things. And I said, I need our whole, you know, we need our team in front of you. So let's, let's figure this out. So, and, uh, yeah, so it, it was super fun and, uh, we, we want to continue to do that, you know, every quarter or two is, is, is bring in a good resource like that. That's basically the, the top tier of their industry or their, their specialty. Mm-hmm. So what's the next book then? Have we, have we selected next <laughs> next quarter's book? Well, no, we're halfway through our quarter, so our, our year ends August thirty first, and so now that's kind of it's it's been my job to date to do that, and and uh, when okay. I say my job, it's probably my choice, I guess. But um, uh, I haven't picked one yet, but I, I'm pretty sure it's going to be, you know, it's going to be slanted towards operational excellence. Uh, that's that's those are okay. the things that are on my mind now so because once you start doing kpis you've got to be excellent you got to be figuring out how to move the needle and and um and get better operationally so that's mm-hmm. really our focus now yeah nobody wants a, a low or bad kpi so right how do you how do you move <laughs> the needle on those things right yeah yeah so everybody needs to send their book recommendations into you yeah i'd love to hear it if you have anything on operational excellence uh, we've read a few recently, the best service is no service, the effortless experience. And, uh, those are two great ones on operational, uh, excellence, but we, we want to keep going on that because really, as you know, in our industry, it's basically get out of your customer's way and they're very happy, you know, so do things, do things really well operationally. You don't want to have to follow up with your customer's broker and ask them questions and, and, uh, you know, wonder why they haven't replied to an email and things like that. So we want to continually improve on that. Excellent. So last year, you had a discussion with Sarah about the impending trade wars. Uh, Are you surprised by where this has ended up? It's about a year since that conversation. Well, you know, I don't know, like, where has it ended up? (laughs) You know, we're still kind of in the midst of it. Kind of in the weeds here with these trade wars, right? You know, we've we've heard we've heard all this information about what people are doing to get around it. Are people actually, you know, mm. misdeclaring things or 
um, you know, we haven't, we haven't personally seen that or heard of that, but we hear it throughout, you know, well, that item is no longer steel. It's now made out of aluminum or something, um, depending on what the tariff is like that month or that quarter. But, you know, I think I'm not really surprised by where we're at. There, there's always been in trade, it's tit for tat. You know, it, it's, you do this to us, we're going to do this to you. But at the end of the day, it, it almost doesn't, I, I'm not going to say it doesn't matter. I, I'm, I'm saying that the costs just get passed on to the consumer. So mm-hmm. if there's an extra 10% cost because of a tariff or, or 20% because of the, the tariff or a higher duty rate or excise tax, however you want to classify it, no one's going to eat that. You know, mm-hmm. the, the shipper's not going to eat it. The importer's not going to eat that. They're going to add it on to their costs and pass it on to the consumer. So, and consumers need to buy, you know, they, they, they buy things to, to survive. So, you know, I, I just, I just think that, um, that it doesn't really change much other than costs for the consumer. Yeah. And it's kind of getting them to have a buy-in. Like I think the U.S. administration is trying to get farmers to have this buy-in that, you know, we're actually, we're doing this for you. You know, we're, we're kind of using this as a negotiating tactic for you, but, you know, I would imagine it's hard to be that farmer who, you know, is not moving his crops and is just kind of in a waiting period. And, and, you know, are your customers having, you know, bringing concerns of uncertainty to you? Well, we're, you know, we're concerned for our customers overall. In other words, we want to make sure that it doesn't affect their bottom line. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to make sure that they can still trade and still import and export. One of the troubles I have personally is any industry that really relies on a lot of lobbying mm. for their success mm-hmm. is always going to have challenges. Right. So, you know, I know I can get myself into hot water here because <laughs> some of our customers do lobby a lot. You know, it's like if you've been in Vancouver and we don't have Uber and Lyft. Right. Right. So why don't we? Mm -hmm. We don't because the taxi industry lobbies against it. Yeah. So what's going to happen to the taxi industry when Uber and Lyft finally is allowed is they're going to get hurt because they haven't made changes to to keep up or stay ahead. Mm -hmm. And so they relied on lobbying. So I, I just find that very challenging overall. I know it's a part of a lot of businesses, mm-hmm. you know, similar to our, you know, our business is, Hey, it, it, we have customs brokerage licenses and licenses to do business. And, and we, you know, we need those things to operate, but I also believe in healthy competition and figuring out, you know, what does the market need and, and, and not rely on, the government or someone else to, to make our business run, because then you'll always be in that mode of fight or flight. You know, you'll be, you'll, you'll be in this sort of fighting all the time. And so I just, I just think that, that, you know, the trade wars are always going to be there. There's always tariffs that are just, that are there. I'm not saying that there should be zero tariffs on everything. Mm -hmm. Don't know what the answer is there necessarily, Mm -hmm. but I think that, that we really need to just, you know, come to some sort of ongoing stability because that's the biggest challenge is when there's 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 this non-stability and people just don't know what to expect then people just start to freeze mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well I, I i will go out on them too I, I i completely agree with you on on that kind of lobbying aspect and and even sometimes seeing 
you know, some of the stuff that comes up with trade deals and it's like, oh, you have to protect this industry. And if it's, it's like, if, you know, I'm in, I work in a private business, private company. And it's like, if we, we don't, we can't rely on that. You know, we have to rely on our performance. We have to rely on being innovative with the solutions that we offer to our customer. We have to rely on, you know, providing, providing excellent service to our customers and understanding our customers. And so, yeah, I think there's a risk of complacency when, you know, yeah, you're always in fight or flight and, uh, you know, trying to, to come at it that way instead of stopping and like, you know, just thinking up innovation or thinking of what your customer's actual problem is. You know, I know with, even with Uber, a friend said like, I like Uber cause they bill me monthly and I don't have to deal with giving cash in a taxi, you know, and like taxis, that's not a, something that they couldn't, you know, that's something that they could have come up with and just kind of haven't, right? or it's been slowed, slow to adopt. So. Yeah. Well, look at Vancouver, you know, Uber first came to Vancouver in 2012 and they lasted about 45 days before they got shut down. Mm -hmm. They've had seven years to build an app yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, like get together and build an app and, yeah. you know, don't get me wrong. I love Uber and I love yeah. Lyft. I, I use yeah. them all the time in any, any country Other or city I travel yeah. to any non Vancouver place I go to, <laughs> but, I mean, that's not rocket science. It's, you know, you can use Google Maps API and you've got a, a driver and, and, and a phone. Yeah. It's, you know, you could make a similar Uber app for nowadays, you could probably make it for $10,000. And, and so, you know, it, it's just, it's too bad because BC and Canada are, are leaders in a lot of areas. And I would love to have seen us take a lead on this, but, uh, it wasn't to be. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, cause you know, the safety is important and the insurance piece is important. And like, you know, again, Canada is quite regulated. So that makes sense, you know, having, having those pieces be a priority, but you know, since you already had that, it's like, all you had to do is make an app <laughs> so that you can build people. Like, so yeah, yeah that, it, it is a funny situation. That's one thing that I will say about Canada and, uh, and, and when it comes to trade and protection, mm -hmm. there's, you know, some people would call it bureaucracy or red tape, but when I really look back at what Canada does for, you know, food products and anything you put on your body, you know, shampoo or lotion or whatever, you know, we, we do look at that really closely and you sort of step back and go, well, wouldn't I want that? You know, the, the, you know, Vancouver's getting in trouble for, for needing a class four license for, for Uber drivers. And they're saying, well, that's going to add, it's going to make it difficult for people to become drivers. Well, do you really want wow. to be really easy to become a driver for people, <laughs> for strangers? You know, I, I, I think yeah. I do want it a little bit challenging for people to, yeah. to be able to drive people around and have a clean driving record and not have medical emergencies and things like that that are required for class four. But I'm not one for bureaucracy, but I do believe in in, in adding something to increase safety mm -hmm. because if it doesn't get done at the beginning, it'll get done after there's there's a problem or an accident or after something like that. Right. And I, and I, you know, it sounds like you've traveled quite a bit. And I think Canadians do take for granted that we have a lot of trust in our government and in the regulations that we have. And so it can be surprising when we don't have those regulations in place or that people are pushing back on those regulations because you do expect as a Canadian, you're like, you know, what do you mean we don't have this kind of rule or regulation? Of course we would want that, you know, safety first or, you know, protect the customer or the, or the citizen. But I know we, you know, compared to other countries, 
you know, that that kind of safety, security, or kind of trust in the regulations or in the, you know, kind of quote unquote bureaucracy just isn't there. Well, I think I think one of the best indicators or one of the things I use a lot, maybe because I'm in the industry, but with food products into Canada, and you may know this from, you know, in cosmetics and things like that is um, the labels on food imported into Canada can't say nutrition facts like they say in the U.S. It's yeah. called nutrition information. And why is that? Because Canada knows that it doesn't know that that's a fact. It, it, it doesn't know it unless it took every piece of food and it analyzed every piece in that packet every time it imported. So it's a little tweak and it's a big pain for our, for our customers that ship from the U.S. to Canada where they have to change the labeling. Yeah. But they're saying, hey, this is information. We don't know it's fact. So we can't, yeah. we can't actually tell our, our, you know, our residents, our, our people that live in our country, that these are facts. So when you look at it from that perspective, they actually make all those labels get changed from nutrition facts to nutrition information simply because mm-hmm. they haven't proven that it's fact. Mm-hmm. So that kind of sort of tells you about about the extra layer of security or safety that Canada puts on things. For sure, for sure. And I, I assume those are things that you can, you know, in the in the kind of customs regulations and customs compliance sphere. That's you know information that you're passing on to your customers as well, where they need to, you know, have awareness on on labeling or on paperwork and documentation. Exactly. You know, it has to be super accurate and, and they'll audit it and they'll look at it and, and figure out if it's not. But um, yeah, there, there's definitely that, that layer of security that's added. And, and sometimes you step back and you go, you know, I, that's probably good. <laughs> it's, it's probably <laughs> it's probably good. It adds some costs and a bit of a hassle, but it's probably, you know, good overall. For sure. So I think we're going to wrap up here. Um, and I'll just say it, it pays to keep yourself educated, uh, and crypto will soon be invading your supply chains as we've heard it here from Graham and I, Mm uh, and hopefully we've given you some insights on, you know, learning and, uh, employee training, negotiating your salary, uh, and, uh, KPI checklists. And for more information about this show and this episode, Graham and Border Buddy, uh, you can check out Let's Talk Supply Chain.com, Season 2, Episode 74. And I'd like to thank Graham for hanging out with me today and having kind of our, you know, kind of casual chat show. And hopefully you all have enjoyed it. Thank you, Graham. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. If you like this episode, go and check out my past episodes with Graham at letstalksupplychain.com. Next week, it's the beginning of the month, and I am highlighting another powerhouse woman in supply chain. She was nominated by one of her employees, one of the greatest honors, I think. Pauline from Buckland is here to share her story of starting her career in supply chain, branching out into entrepreneurship, and then coming back to supply chain. So stay tuned for that one next week. If you want to help support the show, go to shop at letstalksupplychain.com. I have got t-shirts with my favorite quotes on. I've got a supply chain dictionary that's 107 pages 
full of acronyms and definitions to help you succeed in your supply chain career. Go and rate and review the show over on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play so other people can find us and I will feature your review on an upcoming episode. Next, go to ships.com. That's S-H-I-P-Z.com. Yes, we are in probably the final month before launch. So if you want to be one of the first people to know, go there, put your information in, and we will let you know. Lastly, follow us. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and also over on YouTube at the SC Supply Chain TV. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you have an amazing day. And remember, everybody, ship happen.